Good morning. Good to see you all. You know, this past weekend, um, Friday, we went to go visit uh, Ashley, my youngest, at Pepperdine as she was starting her finals or in the midst of her finals. And she had a list of things, you know, like bring some uh, clean laundry. Um, I don't have time to do laundry. And then she said, bring me some um, tteokbokki. She said, I want some tteokbokki. Bring some food. And uh, so we visited. We fought traffic. Uh, Pepperdine is in Malibu. That means you have to go through downtown LA, Koreatown, Midtown, West LA, which is a whole nother world. And then you got to go up PCH uh, forever. And then you get there. And uh, so we, Sharon and I left early, late afternoon actually Friday, and we got there and saw her for a little bit, picked up her dirty laundry, and uh, saw her for a few minutes and left. And it was still kind of worth it, right? It was still like a, the event. It was the highlight of the week. Oh, we got to see um, our daughter for a little bit. Got a hug, you know, a little pep talk. Study hard, you know, don't hardly study, study hard. Like a dad joke, and yeah, yeah, and then bye. And then um, she went off to enjoy dinner with her friends that we had bought. And we came back home uh, exhausted, right? And we made it back home. But it was worth it just for a little bit. There's something about presence, about others. You know, one of the videos that always get me is those surprise military mom, military dad shows up to the homecoming football game and surprises a child or, you know, the, uh, the son who is in the military sneaks up at the restaurant to mom and dad and makes him cry and you watch that and it always wells up the emotions inside of us, right? If you're human, it does that. If you're not, it, uh, it doesn't affect you, right? So, uh, but all of that is so uh, enduring because there's something about the power of presence of the loved ones around us. Uh, being connected to someone. We are created for fellowship. We are created to be social beings. Um, and so it is so, so important that we do this. You know, uh, uh, the Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, um, had written an article, and he talks about one of his patients. And it's a very unusual story about his patient. His patient was a modest man, he shares. He worked in the food industry, um, had a humble lifestyle, humble salary. And then one day, he wins the lottery. And I didn't disclose how much, but he wins enough. And he does the, maybe the first few things, maybe all of us, when we daydream about it sometimes, uh, what we might do. The first thing he does is he quits his job, right? Um, and some of you are already daydreaming about that. Oh, man, that would be wonderful. I could retire early, uh, whatever it is. Second thing he does is he moves from his old small place and he gets a house in a fancy gated neighborhood. It's gated meaning don't come in unless you have permission. And it's gated, it's private, it's the rich people live there. And thirdly, he is afraid of all now the family and friends who are going to come out of the woodworks to ask for money, so he cuts them all off. And then when he meets with the doctor, he sat across from him, and this is what uh, uh, Vivek Murthy says. He says, yet as he sat across from me, he sadly declared, Winning the lottery was one of the worst things that ever happened to me. And he says he was wealthy but alone. This one vivacious social man no longer knew his neighbors, had lost touch with his former co-workers, eventually developed health issues, high blood pressure, diabetes, and so on. Winning the lottery was the worst thing that happened to him. Some of us say, well, test me. That sounds pretty good. No work, no people bothering me, gated, doesn't that sound wonderful? And it might sound like that, but really we are created to be connected in the presence of others. 
And our greatest need is our connection with God. And that's what I want to share with us today. Uh, that when Jesus comes and when he is born, the pronouncement is made of him coming to call him Emmanuel. God is with us. That the baby who was born was God eternal before, God the Son now coming in the flesh. Truly God, truly man, as R.C. Sproul says. 100% God, 100% man. Now he dwells with us. We've seen this, um, the, faint, the memories we have of COVID, and especially for the seniors who are in these nursing care facilities and who are locked out or locked in and their families were locked out. You remember those days? And I know firsthand many who were impacted, who couldn't visit loved ones in the hospital and they were doing FaceTime and uh, this and that and how difficult those times were. Um, in the New York Times, there was a, a short article they did where the moment that they opened the doors and after a year or so, that family were able to meet the grandparents or the elderly there for the first time, a, a reunion. And there's some pictures that I just wanted to show you and how powerful they were. They, I'm just showing you three. There was more on the article. But how powerful it is. You could see the glee and you could see this like they missed each other. They had FaceTime. They talked on the phone and they texted or whatnot. But there's something about being close, the proximity of another. And we see this here. And this is the Christmas story, really. The Christmas story is the one who we need the most of. As we sing, your presence is all I need, the air I breathe. The one who we need most, God, our maker, the one who loves us, him coming to us. This is the gospel story. Uh, religions of the day, religions all throughout history has been our attempt to go to God because there is still that longing to go be with the gods. And so man has tried through religion to win God's favor, to earn God's merit, and try to approach God, but the gospel is different. It is a story about God coming to us, to the unworthy, to the shepherds, to the normal, average person like you and to, like me. And he comes to us. C.S. Lewis talks about how we desire something more than the things of this world because we have a desire for God. And this is what he says. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give to you. Uh, offer to give it to you. But you never quite keep, they never quite keep their promise. If I find in myself, a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Later on in Mere Christianity, he says, probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing, that it is so. I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or never to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for the the something else of which they are only a kind of copy, echo, or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned around. I must make it the main object of my life to press on to the other country and to help others to do the same. He says, there is a longing that's in us. 
and the wonderful things of this world that attract us, that bring us some kind of joy. He says those are only a sign to what we need. A copy, an echo, a mirage, he uses those words. A gathering of friends, a banquet, and you say, this is so wonderful. But it ends. And it is only now a picture of the banquet that we want in the other country to be with God. The banqueting table that he will set up for us, the eternal banquet that we will be there. The things that bring awe to us are only a glimpse of the power of the creator who created these natural wonders. And so we look forward to him. Os Guinness says something that is somewhat similar. He says this, we are all prodigals now and we are all in a far country. Yet however far away we go, there is always a longing for home that will not go away. We have been cut off, so there is always this homesickness that no other home can satisfy, a desire that no other satisfaction will fulfill, a yearning that can be assuaged nowhere else, and a restlessness that finds no rest in any other stopping place. We see people today, whether they travel or whether they move homes or move here and there or visit and do different things, longing for something that is like home. And he says, we are like the prodigals who are far away from home, having a longing to go back to our God. He is our home. And so we want to go back to him. And yet man's attempt to go to God has always failed. When they built the Tower of Babel, they never reached God. In all of their good works, he considers it rubbish from God's perspective because of sin. And so the Christmas story is the good news. Jesus now comes to us. He visits us. He is close to us. All throughout the Bible, there is from the the law to the prophets to the New Testament, this thought of God being with his people. Leviticus 26, 11, I will make my dwelling among, among you and my soul shall not abhor you. Ezekiel 37, 27, My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Revelation 21, 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. This is the, the great intent this is the main theme in the scriptures of god being our home god wanting to be near us us desiring to be somewhere else from this earthly place eugene peterson so simply says it so simply he says god moved into the neighborhood he moved into our neighborhood the christmas story emmanuel god is with us is a story of him moving in with us R.C. Sproul says, what we celebrate at Christmas is not so much the birth of a baby, but the incarnation of God himself. Incarnation is a big word. It means to come in the flesh. Incarnate, he's here in the flesh. And this is what we believe. And so here he comes. The pronouncement is made to Joseph, who is betrothed to Mary, uh, and they're going to be married. It was a, like an engagement, but even more binding. It was something basically that the families would agree upon that they're going to get married. It wasn't just a, a 
boy and a girl who falls in love. It was a, a social affair. It was a different world, and ma like many cultures here, even today. And so they were now obligated to get married. And then Joseph gets this message. To go and marry her, she will have a child. Even though she is a virgin, God the Holy Spirit will now allow her to have a child. And his name will be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Used only three times, twice in Isaiah and once here. God is with us. So the birth is not just the child is with us, not just your son is with us, not just the next generation is here, but it is God himself is with us through this baby. Emmanuel. Emmanuel, this, that word, that truth shows us many things, and today I want to highlight some of the truths of that. Um, and shows us the character of God and what we need from him. Emmanuel, number one, shows us that God loves us, first of all. And there's four truths I want to share, that God loves us. This is a, a love story. This is like the, the parent or the child that comes back from their military duty and surprises their loved one. This is them wanting to be there in person. This is a love story. It is about the God who loves us. Right, verse 23, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Gospel of Matthew begins with this announcement. Emmanuel, God is with us at the birth of Christ. And the Gospel of Matthew ends in the last chapter, last verses in Matthew 28, 19, 20, in the Great Commission message. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, so on. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It is a story about God's presence. Beginning till end, this is a story about God coming to you and God being with you. And this is the gospel. And this is how Matthew starts and ends the story. This is the main point of the story. He is with us. To be with someone. You hear this often, you hear this uh, when a man says to his wife and they make promises that often uh, uh, about being with each other, being together. You see this obviously in those videos that I talked about and so on. But the desire to be together is a demonstration of this love. It is John Wesley who in his deathbed had said to the witnesses around him, the best of all is God is with us. Last words before he passed. Robert Putnam had a, uh, has a book called Bowling Alone and How Our Society is Changing. One of the things he talks about is that people divorced from community, occupation, association are first and foremost among the supporters of extremism. It talks about the need to be with someone, the need for this love, and those who are alone now manifest themselves in this way. Emmanuel is God's love for us. And secondly, Emmanuel means that God knows us. Um, God knows us not just as a subject, not just the statistics about you, but he knows you. You ever hear a parent say to a, a toddler before they go somewhere, oh, you need to go pee right now before we go on the road. And you've seen that. And the child says, no, I don't need to. You know, and the four-year-old says, I don't need to. 
And the mom says, you need to go. Okay, go and try. And then it's a waterfall, right? And then, you know, they know. Or you see a parent say to a child, oh, you need to take a nap. Oftentimes, that means I need a nap too, right? From the parent, right? Who's tired. But you need to take a nap. And the child is saying, no, I don't need a nap. I just need to run around and I'm just angry at the world. No, you need a nap, right? And they take a nap and they wake up and it's almost like they're a different child. God knows us in that way. So he doesn't just know your birthday and what you do and your name and your parents' name. But he knows you. He knows what you need. He understands your pain. He now cherishes your joy. He knows you. This is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, 16. When we talk about Emmanuel, you can't help but to go to this passage. Speaking of Jesus, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near. A high priest, someone who is now between us and God, someone who we can go to, and it's the description here is who is unable we do not have one who is unable to sympathize. What does this mean that there are many? There are many people around us, many counselors and many people that we might go to and they are not able to sympathize. You ever have a discussion about something you're going through and the other person on the other end already, their eyes are glazed over. They have no idea what you're talking about. You're talking about the hardships you're going through and the sufferings that you've had and they had no idea. And you start realizing as they're looking on their phone, as you're sharing your life, I think I'm wasting my breath. They have no idea. Jesus is described as someone who is able to sympathize. Sympatheo is the word. We get the word sympathy. Soon meaning with. Patheo comes from the word that means to suffer. With suffering is what sympathy is in the original language here. With suffering, he suffers with you. He understands. What did he suffer? I mean, some of the, the list of things go on and on. Uh, the loss of loved ones. He suffered death. He suffered um, being isolated, betrayed by the closest, rejected by society, shamed uh, enduring suffering for doing the right things. I mean, all of these things he endured. And so when we go to him, and that's why the writer of Hebrews says now to go and with confidence draw near to him, because he says, oh, I understand. I understand what you're doing. And so when God the Son comes in the flesh, he now says, I understand. I know what that is like. And there is a sense of comfort that we get there. John Owen, the English theologian, says, what does Christ's sympathy mean? He says, first, he is concerned for us. He genuinely cares. He is not like uh, the person at Starbucks that asks you how you're doing. They don't really want to know how you're doing. They just want to know what your order is because they're already backed up, right? Some of us, we, at that time, don't understand, and we might tell them how we're doing. And they're like, oh, did you say venti or what? You know, it sounds like you need some venti and caffeine, extra sugar. Here you go. Do they want to know? No. A dear friend, dear family, dear church, brother or sister, they might know and want to know. 
but God understands and he is concerned. Secondly, Owen says that he has, he can relieve our suffering. And this makes it even more appealing to us because he cannot only just say, oh, I listen to you. But he says, this is what you have to do. I will help you. This is what you have to do. These are the truths you have to hold on to. And he guides us in this way. And thirdly, he understands what we are feeling. Sometimes there are sorrows and hardships that we cannot put into words. And yet he understands. He collects our tears, as the Bible tells us. He understands us in this way. Thirdly, Emmanuel means God has a purpose. When God arrives into our lives, there is a purpose now for our life. There's a, verse 20 describes Joseph in this way. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. There's a little phrase to describe Joseph, son of David. Remember, Matthew is writing to the Jewish reader. He's assuming that you understand the significance of being the son of David. The promises, the covenant that David had, and it is being fulfilled. So it's not just the mere description of, this is just Joseph's dad for identity's sake. He's not telling us that, just to know those simple things. He's telling us that because this is a fulfillment. And Joseph might have thought, oh yeah, I have someone, I'm in this lineage. Wow. Some of you might have someone famous in your, you know, family background that you fa your family boasts about. General, a king, you know. And you're like, wait a minute, if my, you know, ancestors were kings, how could my friend's ancestor be kings, you know? Who is serving the king? Uh, not, not, you know, it wasn't my family, right? And that's, but we might know someone that's like that. And it might just be a trivial fact that we know, but here it is important. It is a fulfillment and he says, Joseph, son of David. On the big picture, he's telling Joseph, you are part of something bigger. You are part of God's plan in history. You were born for this moment. Joseph, whether you understand this or not, you are now the son of David. The son of David, the King David in the Old Testament his throne was going to be occupied eventually by the king of kings. The Messiah was going to come through the lineage of David. So when you read the Bible, and Luke and Matthew and the, the descendants, the, the genealogy is all mentioned there to help us to understand this is a fulfillment. This is part of something bigger than what you can see. And you might look at your own lives and say, well, this is what I'm doing. I go to work. I go to school. I got uh, my social circle here. I got a group that I text with here. I got a group I see on Fridays. I do certain things at church. And you see, this is my little life. These are my little goals. But yet God has you part of a bigger purpose. And so don't ever think that your life is just average. Mundane. Don't ever think that things happen by accident. Don't ever think it's just fate. Don't ever say to yourself, oh, if it was meant to be, it's meant to be. Life just happens this way. No, God has some kind of a control on your life as he did here with Joseph. Where he was born, who he was born to, who his parents are born to, where he was going to live, who he was going to be married to, all of these things were out of his control. And yet God had a sense of control and was guiding him using all of those circumstances. 
And that makes it exciting. That makes life now really exciting. I'm part of something bigger. I'm part of this great plan. And somehow we're the church. 2,000 years after the story, the church is continuing. And I get to take place. And here is my life in this long history of God's kingdom. And I'm here. And we're part of that today. You come into church as a part of God's big plan today. It might be through you and your kids in the future. Or it might be through the people you influence that somehow they understand who Jesus is. And we see this here in the story of Emmanuel. Fourthly, Emmanuel means God is trustworthy, so obey him. God is trustworthy. This is a story about trust. Verse 24 says, Joseph woke from sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He did as he was told. This is almost abrupt, verse 24. He hears this uh, life-changing message. The shocking message, he's going to have to fend for Mary's reputation. He's going to have to raise the Messiah somehow. Now that's a challenge as a dad, right? When uh, your son is your Heavenly Father. I mean, it's just like, you're, you're, you're already confused. It's hard enough. And uh, man, wow. But all he does is he doesn't ponder his own feelings. He doesn't sit there and now take uh, an account of if he wants to or not or ask people. He doesn't argue with God. It simply says he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. You see, God is trustworthy and he is worthy of our obedience. We often think of obedience as now God who keeps us from having fun. We might grow up in a way thinking, oh, God, I have to obey God. Oh, it's going to be so dull. That's why I want to wait till I'm older. So I could, I'm, I'm in my 20s, you know, I'm in my, thir- I, this is a time for, oh, God's not going to let me do anything. And sometimes we have a misunderstanding. God is like the one that tells the toddler, don't go near the street, it's dangerous. God is like the parent that tells the toddler, Uh, eat this and not only the candy. It'll be good for you. God is like the parent that tells the toddler, hey, come and let's go and wash up. Let's go to sleep. God is trustworthy. He knows better. He acted. He obeyed. He trusted God's word. It's interesting because Joseph here is, Joseph, the the wife, uh, the husband of Mary, is not mentioned much in the, Bible. Tradition tells us that uh, he's probably passed away before Jesus enters into his public ministry at the age of 30. Because at that point, there is no mention of Joseph. So there's an assumption that maybe he passed away. For example, in Luke 8, 19, Jesus refers to his family as his mother and brothers. Uh, Joseph is no longer mentioned there. Joseph's only mentioned really in these Christmas narratives, and he obeyed. And that was it. The Josephs that I know who are named after the Bible figure is not named after this Joseph. It's named after the cool Joseph in the Old Testament, right? The one that did a lot. Joseph here, it seemed like he didn't do anything. But what he did was significant. What he did matters. You see, our our lives are not about just getting the attention and applause of man 
impressing others, accomplishing great feats. Our life, the successful life, is a person who simply trusts and obeys. God says to go, I go. God says to stop, I stop. And that is the definition of a successful life, a life well lived. And that's how I think Joseph would be remembered. One commentator says Joseph is known to us only as a dim figure in the background of the gospel narratives. He is known as a just man and one who trusted God and obeyed him. He heard God's word, he trusted, and in his trust, he obeys. He obeys God when it makes no sense. You see, they weren't even married then. And I'm sure the people around him, the people who were for him were saying, you need to move on. This sounds kind of crazy that she is now going, expecting a child. You, you're still young. Could have been around age 20. Mary could have been, uh, would have been a teenager. You need to just move on. You need to live your life. And these would have been all the right things that he would have heard and could have said and done. But he obeyed God. He accepts her. He protects her. And he says, I don't understand this. 2,000 years later, theologians and us here in this room are still going, wow, the virgin birth, wow, this is, you know, uh, the incarnation of Christ. These are, wow, mind-boggling. I, I still don't, I can't grasp it. Can you imagine what he was thinking? But yet, it was because God was trustworthy. And he says, I don't have to understand it all. I don't have to make sense of it all. You don't have to justify it to me, God. But you are trustworthy and I will obey. I hope that the presence of Christ, Emmanuel, will lead us to this kind of obedience. A radical obedience. Where the world would say, why would you do such a thing? Why would you live such a life? And that we would trust him in this way. Luther used to use this term in the Latin called coram deo. Deo, it means in the face of God, in the presence of God. And it's the thought that one's entire life ought to be lived in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. And so every day you wake up and God gives us a new day, a day to live, a day to think about God. You, you're in the presence of God. Deo, you are in the face of God. And say, God, I'm living for you today. God, I'm going to do what you say today. God, you are trustworthy. You understand me. You have a purpose. You love me. God, Emmanuel, you are here. May we live a life in this way as we acknowledge Jesus, Emmanuel, God who is with us now. May we acknowledge him in this way. May we acknowledge his presence. He is closer than we think. His presence is all that we need and more. His words are trustworthy. We obey. We can go to him and he sympathizes with us. And Christmas is the story of his love. Oh, how he loves you. Whether you feel it or not. Oh, how he is with you. Whether you understand him or not. He is our God, Emmanuel. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we thank you for this story. God the Son, born as a baby, 
the birth of a child that has changed history, that has changed our lives. And Lord God, you come to us and you make this announcement to us and Lord, our lives are changed. A radical obedience to you. A counselor we can go to at any time who understands and helps us. A God who now shows his love in this truth. A God that has purpose in all that we do. How wonderful this news is, Lord. So we thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.